Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Okay, hi, it's um, later Wednesday afternoon. Trying to hop around, and I'm going to do a second um, talk on Shana Raba. It's being sponsored um, by Lou Goldberg and family in, in memory of his grandmother, known as the yard site, will be on Shana Raba. That is to say, the yards will be on Friday. Chaya Rivka Basi Huda. Tanishama should have an aliyah, as we say. Um, so thank you. <clears throat> um, yesterday I spoke about one aspect of the Shana Raba. Now let's get into the uh, the nitty gritty, which can be a little bit weird. Hashanah Rabbah is, a, in my opinion, anyway, it's a strange holiday. And the way we do it today is not what they used to do. It sort of evolved, it seems, out of what they used to do in in, in a certain type of way. If you look, um, first of all, it's not in the Chumash, okay? Number one, number. I mean, there's uh, Sukkot has you know the mitzvah of Sukkah and the mitzvah of the Arbamina. Okay, that I get. Um, but what's this business with Arabas and all the rest of it? Now, there was a ceremony they used to do in the temple long ago, which was supposed to be Allah Chomosh Sinai. So it's a device, but it's not in Chomish. And that was called Mitzvah Arova. Today we call it a Hoshina, you know what I mean? That's a Yiddish. You call something a Hoshina because you use it for the Hoshinas. But it's an Arova, okay? Now, the way they used to do the Arova once upon a time is very different. The Mishnah describes, and that's the only place we know it from, the Mishnah of the Gemara in, in Sukkah, in the fourth parak. So the Mishnah says, and if you get a cartoon Mishnah, whether you get the red one or the other one, which I think is a particularly good idea from Mitzach the Sukkah, that's just my opinion, you know. I, my, uh, Likes and dislikes. And uh, you go over there and it says Mitzvah Zarabah Ketzad. So you used to have something called Mitzvah Zarabah, which is not the Lul of an Estrogue ceremony and it's not the Sukkah ceremony, but it's done on Sukkahs. So it says they used to go to Motza, Matthew Shalai, the Mishnah. This is the fourth parak, fifth Mishnah. And they would go to Motza, Malak Nisham, Murbi, Shalarabah, Bosa, and Basidim, Mitzvah. So they went to a place that had giant Arabah trees, right? Giant rubber trees, willows, and um, not willow twigs, but willow branches. And it's supposed to be 11 feet tall, or I mean 11 amas, so I don't know, 20 feet tall, something like that. I mean, tall, 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 tall. So you can't be a player if you can't carry around and manipulate something much larger than yourself. It's approximate, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, think, think about what I'm saying. What are you? Five, five, six feet, something like that. Barach. There's something three times the size of you if you're six feet or more. Four times the size of you if you're five. So it's big. And what do they do with them? That's not clear. They had clearly, it says, it says that the mitzvah was they used to go and, and chop off and collect these gigantic branches. 
march them back to Jerusalem, which is not that far away. It's not that close either. I know where Moats is, and so do you. I think that they used to have a uh, KFC over there once upon a time. It was kosher, I think, if I remember correctly, um, in a mall there. Anyway, well, um, they take him back to the temple, and on Sukkot, they would stand him up against the, the Mizbech. So I'm sure you've seen pictures of that, and if not, just Google Hoshana Rabbah, Arabas, Mizbeach, and images. And you know, you'll get pictures of this. Where you get any kind of picture Mishnahis. And the idea was they stood him up on the altar, and it's taller than the altar, so it leans over in the altar. So imagine the um aesthetically, the Mizbeach surrounded by a whole bunch of these tall willow branches that that lean over on it. And you know, Obviously, this is very symbolic from an agricultural perspective, and maybe from other perspectives too, I'm sure. And um, th- close your eyes and imagine that they, um, they what do you call it? They would lean, you know, they would stand it up, and you're on top of the mizbech, and all around you is like a little bit of a forest foliage. And, you know, so you have a mizbech surrounded by grass. So it looks like it anyway. Or surrounded by br- trees. Looks like it anyway. I guess that must have had a very powerful uh, image to them. I mean, if that's halacha Moshe Misenai, it's got to have some deep meaning, right? They have the Mizbeach surrounded by these branches lean, leaning over the top. Um, to tell you the truth, a little bit, a little bit, sounds something like Harsinai maybe, where it was surrounded by grass, you know, um, with the top representing Harsinai. Perhaps that's, you know, the... Uh, the symbolism. Um, perhaps the symbolism is that the carbonus that are uh, brought on the top is what causes you rain and therefore giant branches. Um, perhaps the symbolism is that, you know, everything is acquired through hard work, like I said the other day, sacrifice. It's highly symbolic. That is what they called the uh, Mrs. Arova. Now, in addition to that, they had a parade some kind of parade, or at least we th- I think it's a parade. It's not clear. This is my point. When you get down to the nitty-gritty, and to do this, my suggestion to you is to get the art school Mishnah. not the dumbbell one, but the y- Yad Yitzhak, the smarty one. You know, the art school put out two. I like them both. They're both great. Uh, I, I say that for real. I'm not being funny. The newer one, which I call the dummy one, I, I don't mean in a bad way, but is is uh, simple. It doesn't have a long commentary. It's just basically giving you the push of shot, which is great. So for um, Bikias, that's the one you want. On the other hand, when the old article Mishnahis came out, if I can use that term now, the idea, so again, with the, with the cover and everything. So uh, the guys on it put in all their uh, Ian knowledge, which is a good thing, all in English. So if you're learning Mishnahis for Bikias, which is a great thing, then you want the uh, the other one. But if you ever want to be my eye in anything, and you might not have the swarm or the time or the effort or the ability, so a very good cheater book is the Art School Mishnah of the Yad Yitzhak, you know, the one with a lot of notes. And uh, and they have a lot of material over there. Um, now, by now, there's the Masifta, and they're probably translating Masifta in English for all I know. You know, time does not stand still. But at the moment... So if you look over there, and a lot of time and effort and scholarship were put into that, 
uh, again, it's not something to do for Bikias, but it, it definitely, in my opinion, is something to be in. It's, it's just like a word, you know, a word to the wise. Um, second here. And uh, what it was saying, what what they show you is, so every day besides Shana Rabbah, there was have something that looks like a march around the the, the, the mizbech. Have a parade. It's a difference of opinion whether they marched around with the uh, arbaminim. So you can see cartoons like that. Alternatively, there's those who say that they just they marched around with other stuff. So I want to I want to read here from the art scroll to make it easier and show you what's confusing. So after you get all these things together, it says, Only the, I'm reading now, only the Kohanim would walk around the altar, but not the general public. So imagine, according to one version, the parade consists of Kohanim, and people are standing by and just watching them. And the reason you can't do it is because it, it, it include, the parade route includes a part of the base of English that non-Kohanim are not supposed to go to. So again, I'm going to read it. Only the Kohanim would walk around the altar, but not the general public. Because in order to make a circuit around the altar, one had to pass between the ulam, right, the antechamber, which leads to the interior of the temple, and the altar, and only Kohanim were allowed to enter this part. Okay, so only Kohanim can complete the circuit. So you get it. There's the Mizbeach, and part of the Mizbeach faces the building of the Kodesh and the Kodesh of Godashim, and that's a part that a non-Kohan is not supposed to go to, and therefore the parade can only be Kohanim, in which case it was a spectator sport. You came there, to uh, the public, to watch the Kohanim march around once, right? And they're singing this and that, you know, Anashem Hashem whatever they're singing. That's not the important point to me. There is, on the other hand, another shita, uh, which says that everybody could be participate, but in a different kind of a way. So again, I'm reading you from this scholarship. It says, according to Shura Gon, uh, quoted by the uh, by Ritzkias, you know, by, by Rabitzig and Gayat, Who's like a very important Spanish Risham, uh, and the Rimigash and others, that Makifan here, they translate differently. And Makifan means not the march around it, but they surrounded the altar. So in other words, they make a ring, in which case you don't march around the altar, you form a ring, a human ring around the altar, and you sing something. So imagine. The Kohanim, uh, you know, uh, being half the circle, so to speak, and Yisraelim being the other half of the circle, in which case the public can join. And I can imagine people are fighting, and therefore they, you, you can make the circle as big as you want. So you can include a lot of people if, if that's what you wish to do. And um, just as 50-50, the part of the Mizbeach where the non-Kohanim can't, can't walk, that's only the Kohanim can stand there. But the part on the other side, the Mizbeach, where, where non-Kohanim can walk, so you have the Yisraelim. So there's the circle in two halves. One half of the circle is Kohanim. The other circle doesn't have to be Kohanim. But they're not marching around anymore. So then if you go like that, then the ceremony does not include a parade around it with whatever symbolism that is. Um, but instead you just stand there. Now let me say this. You know and I know that today our custom of marching around every day on Sukkot which is something of a commemoration of this, sort of, but it doesn't reflect any business with Kohanim or non-Kohanim and all the rest of it. It's a custom that it has popped up. 
Um, but the Ritzkias here con- concludes that because in the midst of Yisrael we're, we're able to enter the space between the altar and Mizbech. Okay, Kwanam Balimumen, Nechzan Beinum Ba Mizbech. So, again, a third possibility from the Ritzkias, who's not, not a little person, he's a big Rishon, and he says, no, actually, it could be a parade, and this is an exception day. Once a year, or something like that, non-Kohanim are allowed to go to participate in this ceremony. I remember seeing in the Rambam, I think in Hilchus Yom Kippur, if I'm not mistaken, Avodos Yom Kippurim, somewhere, where he also talks about the fact that on Yom Kippur you could allow, I can't remember where, you could allow non-Kohanim to go in places which usually you're not supposed to go, stuff like that. <clears throat> in which case, um, if this is true, Sukkot was really interesting. It's the, basically more or less the one time a year you're allowed to go into, so to speak, forbidden area. So let's say I'm a Yisro, not a coin. Let's pretend that's the case. I happen to be a coin, but let's say I was not a coin. Uh, and I wonder what it's like <laughs> standing on the other side of his back. Usually I can only go up to this machine and only up to this point, and beyond that it's off limits. But if I go on on Sukkot, every day of Sukkot, I can theoretically... If I participate in this parade, go to see and feel what it's like to get up close and personal with the Heichel, you know, with the building that contains the Kodesh and the Kodesh Gadashim. It's very striking that this ceremony will allow the non-coin to get closer to the headquarters of Judaism than on any other day. And why Dafka? You'd think it would be, you know, Roshaniyam, Kippur, something like that. Now, again, I'm continuing reading. The sages disagree about the procedure of circling the altar. Some maintain that the coin, Kohanim walked around holding the lulav and Adasim after the willow branches were set around the altar. Okay? So again, what happens? They come in, they put these giant branches, they surround, according to this opinion, they surround the top of the Mizbeach, like I say, it looks like foliage up there, and after they've done that, then the Kohanim march around with a, with a lulav set, you know, lulav eser, Adasim, Rovas, and that's what the parade is all about. Others say that only thereof was held during the ceremony, after which they were set up around the altar. Meaning, there's a completely different version of the way the parade used to go. And according to this, um, they don't march around with a little of an asterisk after it's set up. They come, they bring these long, long branches, right, 20 feet tall, whatever, something like that. And then the Kohanim take these branches, and they parade around the Mizbeach with these branches, and then after they finished the parade, then they set them up against it, and they put the thing hanging over on the top. So they're not even clear exactly what the what the what the ceremony is. Kuni Rashi explains that according to those that say that the willow branch was used during the procession around the altar, the Kohanim first took the branches, waved them, then proceeded around the altar after holding them, and only then would they stand in the willows around the altar. Which means that they bring the... It's strange, you know? They, they bring the stuff to the base of Megus, these tall branches. Then they hand them over to Kohanim. The Kohanim have some kind of a tenufit, like a waving ceremony. After they do the waving ceremony, then the Kohanim march around with those branches. And after they finish marching around with the parade, then they stand them up against the top of the altar. You see what I'm saying? That you know that when you get down to what actually happened, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of confusing. Those there's so many different opinions. Okay? The Rambam... The ruling that only the four species were held in press holds that after the procession, the people would come forward and hold the branches in their hand. Again, the question of non-Kohanim. The Rambam says that 
after they did um, the Arbaminim and they marched around, then everybody would come and then hold them in their hands. But I guess they would hand them over to Kohanim and then the Kohanim would stand it up. So the public gets to, to hold on to them or something like that. And so there's constant interplay and attention between what the coin can do and what the non coin is not allowed to do versus the other way around. So you have all that, and obviously none of this happens today. This is not a Shana Rabbah today. Uh, and they see Onehova, Shionah, and so on and so forth, right? Now, the thing is, then comes the Shana Rabbah. A Shana Rabbah, this ceremony, whatever it is, whether it's a, you know, scenario A, scenario B, scenario C, do they march around, do they, do they march around, do they just stand around it? Is it only for Kohanim, is it for non-Kohanim? Do they wave it or they don't wave it? Does the public get to wave it before the Kohanim have a whack at it or the other way around? Um, you know, when do they put it up against the altar before or after the parade? And so on and so forth. All these issues is apparently done uh, seven times. What, whichever one scenario it is, on a Shanarab is done seven times. Vus Epe, seven t- it is the seventh day, but it's not like the first day did it once, the second day did it twice, and the third day did it three times. It's not so. For the first six days, each day you do it a grand total of once. As opposed to Friday coming up now, uh, which is, uh, as I said before, the yard site of um, our sponsor today, of Lou Goldberg's uh, uh, grandmother. So um, when you march it around, uh, you do it seven times. So why? And, you know, apparently the Yushalmi says that if you march around seven times, that's like Jericho, like Yericho. Remember Joshua marched around and blew the trumpets and all that seven times, and then the walls came tumbling down. Right? So that's a, so let me put it this way. Why on Hoshana Rabbah? Right? It's just an interesting concept. I hear the parallel, but shouldn't that be more like the time of Yericho, which I think took place in Nisan, isn't that right? The Jews crossed the Jordan, and they celebrated Passover, and then afterwards, they went after Yericho, I think. So... Uh, that would be more like the time to do it. Not on uh, Sukkot, not on Shana but that, that, that's apparently what they used to do in Beis Amish, go around seven times. And he quotes here from the Marsha that the idea is, and same, Cain Yovdu Hashem, the same way Jericho fell, all the enemies should fall, and things like that. And uh, you could interpret it very from, they didn't have to fight, they just davened, you know, that sort of thing. Okay? Now, um, and then, and when it's over, they sing that song to the Mizbeach. So, if you noticed, we didn't say anything yet about hitting the Hoshinas on the ground. Uh, in fact, we didn't say anything about doing the Hoshinas altogether. In the next Mishnah, in Mishnah Vav, I think it's the next Mishnah. Yeah. In the, yeah, that's right. In the next Mishnah, it talks about what they used to do when, when Shanarob was Saturday, which cannot happen in the calendar nowadays, but it could in those days. The calendar is so organized that it can't happen. Uh, you can have like Friday, like we have this year, but not Saturday. So it says that um, they they had to, you know, put the Arabas in from before Shabbos, etc. And then comes the interesting part. Rabbi Yochanan broke Omer. There's a ton of Rabbi Yochanan and he offers a completely different scenario of what used to happen on this day, right? Um, and as far as I can tell, He's he's uh, he's talking about Shanaraba, right? So, uh, what's going on over here? He says, 
So Yochum Broca says, he used to take palm branches and beat them on the ground the sides of the altar. So, let's put it this way. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't involve an arova necessarily. I mean, I guess you can learn these in, in doing it in addition to, but it doesn't seem that way, right? It doesn't seem that way. Um, the arova, instead, uh, it was called Yom Chibicharios. And what did they do? They took not Aravas and beat them on the ground. They did not do Aravas. Instead, they did palm fronds from a decal, from a palm tree. So you guys listening in Florida, you know, you see all those palm trees around there. They took those, you know, nice uh, uh, palm uh, things. Instead of using it to, to fan yourself, they whacked them on the ground. Right? They whacked them on the ground. And they, he does not say why. And uh, and they called it Yom Chibur Haroyos, the day that you beat the uh, palm leaves, not the, uh, the Aravas. So, see what I mean? We do it with the Aravas and in, in a different way. And when you finally get, and I'm falling back here in the Art School Mission, I'm, I'm guiding you so you'll take a look at yourself. Uh, if you look over here, um, da, 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 on page 129, I guess, in the Yad Yitzchak. So, uh, uh, he says, the Arava ceremony is practiced today, which we don't stand up any, uh, I mean, well, let's put it this way. Why don't we go and show and surround the bimba with high, uh, you know, beams and things like that? We don't do that. So I'm reading you again, though it is not mentioned in, in, in Tanakh, the willow ceremony in the temple is a, t- is a, Torah obligation because Allah mentioned me Sinai. That's what the Gemara says. Okay? However, the practice, which is not mentioned in the Mishnah, he says, of taking willow twigs, what you and I call Aravas, what you and I call Oshanis, in addition to the Aravas on the Lulav, to taking this on the seventh day of Sukkot, the Shanara has no such basis. So in other words, there's no Halacha Mishnah Sinai involving marching around with Aravas the way you and I do in a Shanarabah. It was instituted in memory remembrance of the temple service. So the Rama, um, let's, let's put it this way, it's a Zechel Amigdash type vart, but we don't do it exactly in the Zechel Amigdash way. You see, that's the strange thing. Parallel to some institution of taking a little bit seven days post-destruction era. Now that is in the Gemara, that it used to be, and I think most of you know this, that the, um, in the, originally, if you didn't live in Yerushalayim, didn't live based on Amigdash, like this year, we wouldn't be, I guess we wouldn't be uh, doing um, Lulav at all because it's only the first day. It's seven days in Beis Amigas, but it's only the first day. And to that first day, you can't do it. So you just, it'd be like Sukkah, I mean, like, like chauffeur, you know, you're just not doing it. Um, which is just interesting. But as we all know, when the Beis Amigas destroyed the instituted that you should do, Bench of every day. Um, so similarly, they invented this thing called uh, Shanarabo. It's kind of a Zechel in the form that we have it now. Right? In other words, the practice of marching around with small little Aravas. So that's later. And the Gemara either says either it's a, a, a Yesona Nevi'im or a Minagan Nevi'im. It's either a custom 
or a commandment of the Vim, and you know, and the bottom line is, do you make a bracha or not? As you know, we don't make a bracha, okay? Uh, and and all you really need is one, but you know, as we all do five, you know, because there is all thing got in, uh, all the rest of it. And is a difference of opinion how you do the mitzvah. Do you, uh, Rashi says you you the willow twig twig. What we do now is held and waved. Right, because he holds it. That's what he's doing. The base of this sort of time, Makivan includes waving. Another of the big branches, and uh, another opinion is you just beat it on the ground, okay, and uh, you know. But this has its counterpart in the temple procedure, where palm fronds were beaten on the ground, but not arabas. We don't do palm fronds at all. You don't see anybody doing a decal nowadays, and you know the machaber of course says. That you, it's enough to beat it on the ground. The Ramah says you should wave it also. Well, that's kind of well known. And he quotes here a very nice little cute vart from the Gaonim, Chubasa Gaonim, where, uh, well, let's put it this way. So Vasepis is this idea of beating on the ground and how it's evolved. I just went through all that to show you that, you know, it's very complex. and probably takes a lot of deconstruction to figure out what's going on over here, if, we, if, if even we can but a Sharon is not simple. Um, and some of this may have evolved bottom up from the popular usage, but it seems to me that, you know, a lot of it is more like, you know, uh, top down. People came, the big sages, some people came up with it. Uh, you know, you don't know, you can't tell. But it's most unusual, you got to admit. Now, um, what's the symbolism over here? Um, Remember, in the Mishnah time, they did not hit their rubbers on the ground. In fact, they kind of exalted the rubbers because they took biggies, 11 almas tall, and they marched around them and waved them a little bit, not exactly, a little bit like we do as a Sefer Torah on, on, on Shana Rab, on, on, on Silkas Torah. Um, so knows you're exalting the Arava, basically. I repeat, they didn't hit it on the ground. They did not hit it on the ground. So you're exalting the Arava. Um, not only that, but on Shana Rabba, you march around with the Arava seven times like you're destroying Jericho. It's it's an interesting kind of symbolism. And I repeat, what I just told you is Allah HaMashim It's not our current practice today. It's not something made up later. That is Allah HaMashim So what is God telling us? Take the Arava and do all kind of stuff with it. Right? So, you get what I'm saying? In other words, don't ask why are we hitting the Arava. That came later. Ask, and clearly as a kind of a substitute for some reason for the Adekel. I don't know. Uh, if you want a historicist answer, maybe palm fronds weren't around in most places, but Arabas grow everywhere. You know, that's a, you know, a simplistic answer. You never know. Sometimes the simplistic is the right one. I mean, mevesnish, but it's it's you know interesting the way these things suggest themselves. But the arav itself. Here we go. Here's the interesting part to me. The lulav esrig of We all know the esrig is supposed to be, and Chazal said it's not just me. I read you the the, the medrash the other day, in Vayikarava Perikulamid. The lulav. I'm sorry. The esrig is. He has Torah and Maisim Tobim. The Lulav is, you have Torah, but not Maisim Tobim. The Adasim is, you have Maisim Tobim, but not 
uh, Torah. And Darav is Nishtah Nishtah. You don't have Maisim Tom, you don't have, and you don't have uh, Torah. Um, that's the Arava. And it's the Arava you march around with. Do you get what I'm saying? Wouldn't it make more sense if I told you that they marched around with Esrigs and they covered the top of the Mizbech with Esrigs and it'd be very pretty and so on and so forth? And then you'd say, oh, Kalali Israel is dependent on the Gedolim and the Torah and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, it'd be easy to do that one. You could even say, if you're very, very yeshivish, you could say, you do it, everybody should march around just with a lulav, literally just a lulav, and surround the Mizbech at the top with a bunch of lulavs. And you say, see, Talmud Torah itself, like, you know, like, uh, uh, what am I thinking of, Nefesh Chaim, you know? The Torah itself, just learn, even you know, Maisim Tovim, as long as it's not Almanas Lakanter, is unbelievable. And that's what the Mizbech is surrounded by. You could make a case, possibly, for surrounding everything with Hadassim. You know, you say, we are exalting and honoring the people that do Maisim Tovim, because not everybody's for learning, but mitzvahs should be for everybody. And you'd make that kind of a of a vort. But we don't do any of those three. Instead, we choose the lowly Arova, which doesn't have Torah and doesn't have Maisim Tovim. So then what does the Arova have? The only thing the Arova has is it's a member of Kal Yisrael. <laughs> it's one of the four. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Not everybody in the bundle of the Arbaminim, of the, uh, not everybody among the Bnei Yisrael are Bali Torah and Bala Maisim Tovim. Now I'm not talking about Rishon necessarily. I'm talking about people who are not you know, outstanding in Torah knowledge and not outstanding in Maisim Tovim. The regular person. The regular good Joe. I'm not saying he's doing Maisim Rahim, but, you know, he's not, he or she is not distinguished in terms of Maisim Tovim. And that's the ones you surround the altar with. And that's the ones you march around with. And that's the ones that they wave. And that's the ones that are even contentious with the people. The people want to have a piece of that action. Don't say the people want to have a piece of the Esrog action. Or the people want to have a piece of the Hadassim or the Lulav action. They want to have a piece of the Aravas action because they identify with the Arava. You see? The Hamon Am is going to be like Arava. There will always be Yechidim who are the Esrogs. And there are Yechidim who are the Lulavs and the Hadassim. And that's great. But the Rabbim doesn't have time or inclination or opportunity or whatever for that. And are you just going to treat them like garnished? You know, yes, they're part of Claudius Row, but what a bummer. You know, they're the black sheep of the family. You got a problem if the majority of the public is a black sheep. LMI, you say, regardless of what they have, the fact that they're part of the B'nai Yisrael, that itself is extremely important. And this is their ceremony. This is the ceremony that, that, that uh, symbolizes the chashivas of the Klai Yisrael as Klai Yisrael of the average person as the average person, which is extremely precious. When you're very learned, you just can't help, usually, but think of the people, the plain people, it's not so precious. And probably when you're engaged in Maisim Tovim, think of the person, for example, who gives of her and his or her time to be, I don't know, in the Hatzal or something like that, a Shomrim, uh, Others can do it, but they don't. <laughs> you see? There could be more participation, but there isn't. So you say like this, all right, the island's a garland, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my part. And more power to you. That, that's very good. It's very heroic. But then you can't help but looking sort with a certain contempt at the rest, at the Arovas. 
And then comes along something called the Mitzvah Rabbah. God did not say, there should be a Mitzvah of Lulav or Vesrik, but he did say there should be a Mitzvah Rabbah. And by the time it's over, the Rabbah is uh, sung to, praised, um, st- stood up against the uh, the altar, marched around with the altar, or surrounded in some other way with the altar. Everybody's contending for it. And the Arava is the one time, at least according to some, the Arava is the one time when even Hamunam is allowed to go into places which are usually not uh, allowed for Hamunam. As I just showed you before, the Ritzgias and others say that the public can walk in the part of the base of Migdash, which is between the Mizbech and the Ulam, for the purposes of the Arava ceremony. Right? So what's that telling you? The whole year you have to stay away. But there's one day or one week when, no, you don't have to stay away. And that's when you're allowed in along with everybody else because it's celebrating the Arova. So it's celebrating you as a regular, even though you're not outstanding in this, you're not a Lulav, you're not an Esra, you're not a Hadas, but you are an Arova. And I'll tell you, it's a Rove. And the way they described it, that the people were always trying to participate, you see the, the Hamon Am seems to like identified with it. You understand? Seems to identified with it. It's really interesting. You know, when you have an elite member who screws up like that king that they threw the asterisks at, they're throwing the asterisks because, first of all, the asterisks are powerful. But second of all, the symbolism is the person who's the leader should be like an asterisk, should be Tarmaisim Tovim. But what are you going to say to the Rava? Right? Um, there are other explanations, but that's the one that strikes me as the most cogent. The article does bring from, I don't know, one of the Gonim or something who says the Rava is like the mouth, the mouth tells Lashonar, and so on and so forth. But I repeat... It doesn't say anywhere that the original ceremony, the one from God, involves taking the Arab and smacking on the ground. Uh, it does say one in which you wave it, march around it, sing to it, sing with it to the Mizbeach, and all kind of things like that. It is the time where you're allowed and closer to the Kodesh and Kodesh Hashem than any other time. Uh, it's when Judaism become more of a part- uh, participatory thing than a spectator sport. When does the Oilam ever get a chance to participate in temple ritual. I just said something very interesting. When does the Oilam ever get a chance to participate in temple ritual? Usually, as you know, all the carbonos that bring is done by the Kohanim, and to some degree with the help from the Levium. The Israel is just standing there, you know, watching, or at least following directions, you know what I mean, if he has to be Tahar, you know, whatever it is. Um, I guess the most you can say is the person gets to eat the meat after the carbon's over. But they don't participate in the ritual. You get it? All the splendid fun stuff is done by the staff on hand by the Kohanim, but not, at least according to many, not on uh, the Arabas. And why Yochan Broker says they hit the palm stuff on the ground is not clear. The Gemara has explanations, Kappas tomorrow, etc. But eh, it's not so clear. And, uh, you know, that's something that requires a separate discussion. And that morphed over time after Basim was destroyed into trans- taking that idea and hitting Darovas on the ground, which seems to me, uh, what's the right word? You know, sort of counterintuitive on the day you're celebrating Darovas hit it on the ground, which seems like you're knocking it, unless you interpret it in the following sense. I'm hitting the ground with Darova because I'm saying that the uh, produce of the earth is being supplied by, uh, through the merit of Klal Yisrael, not through the merit of individuals. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's the only positive way I can think of spinning it. Um, either way, 
you see, and I'm just throwing everything I just said now, is by way of sort of stimulating you to go and look up this stuff yourself. And maybe you can see inside in the Hoshana Rabbah Seminary, especially as it has evolved, um, that didn't occur to me yet this year. Uh, so with that, I wish everybody a good Hoshana Rabbah. And uh, again, we want to pay tribute to Shavali to Lou's grandmother. And uh, with that, I bid you a good moe. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.